Perhaps some of you have heard the saying or the someone say that Jesus spoke more about hell and wrath than He did about heaven and glory and eternal bliss with Him. In fact, I recently read of a man who wrote, the Lord Jesus told me Himself that He preached more on hell than He did on heaven. You remember what I told you last week when anybody says to you, the Lord told me? You need to run. (laughs) I wouldn't listen to much else that this guy had to say. In fact, what he said is wrong. I, I believe that a lot of the men who might say something like this, I believe that they are perhaps having good motives. They have right motives because they realize and recognize that in the day in which we live, that men stand in the pulpit and they are usually found saying things to make people happy, to make people glad and upbeat and happy to be in their church and fun, fun, fun all the time, time, time. So they preach about the good stuff and stories and things to make people feel good. And they seldom, if ever, preach on the hard things like sin and judgment and the wrath of God against sin. And so because there is such a lack of preaching on sin and judgment and hell, they say, well, you know, Jesus preached more on hell than He did on heaven. The fact of the matter is, it may not be their motives or even their theology that's so bad. It's their math. Because when you look in the Scriptures and you see in the Scriptures what is written, and I'm talking about in the Gospels particularly, you do not find the fact that Jesus spoke more about hell than He did about heaven. The opposite is true. In fact, some of the best men that I would trust say that according to their count, that Jesus spoke approximately 300 times to His followers regarding heaven and glory. You may recall that I've said on several occasions in recent months even that one of the very first things that Jesus taught in the Bible from the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, the first recorded sermon that Jesus preached, He preached that heaven awaits those that are blessed. He spoke about heaven and He spoke about it a lot in the Sermon on the Mount which we're going to see in a few moments. So, heaven was a very prominent doctrine that our Lord taught. And, based upon language alone, depending on what version of the Bible you may use, the term heaven is mentioned approximately 119 times in the New Testament. Most by Jesus. Whereas hell was only mentioned about 15 or 16 times. Mostly by Jesus, again. More accurately, however, when you include the sense of judgment and impending judgment and the wrath of God, hell came up approximately, or judgment and hell came up approximately somewhere about 60 times in the Gospels. But heaven, like 300 So their math is in question, not their motives. But regardless of the number of times 
that hell and wrath and judgment is mentioned or was mentioned by our Lord, it is an important Christian doctrine. And this is where we're going in our study this morning. We're going to turn our attention today to a brief look at the Christian conviction regarding hell and the wrath of God. And we're going to look predominantly at what Jesus had to say. And yet I remind you that the title of this study is The Beauty of Wrath. The Beauty of God's Wrath. And so we're going to even in the New Testament now begin to see how Jesus spoke of this and what He said and then why He said it. But right now, we're looking under the broad heading, the reality of wrath, and following our look at the common conviction that churches usually teach, or evangelical churches, I should say, usually teach that men need to be saved, that what they're saying is they need to be saved from the wrath of God. That's the message of the Word of God. And then we took a brief look at the chronicle of the concept, that is, the uh, Old Testament teaching on the wrath of God, where we saw that wrath is taught throughout the Scriptures, and there are a lot of warnings against disobeying God, and punishment will ensue if you don't. Daniel even read that this morning from the book of Amos. And we saw then that wrath is rightly a part of who God is. It is one of His attributes. And we read from some good men last Lord's Day that wrath must be part of who God is because He is pure and holy and just. And a pure and holy and just God will not simply overlook sin. That would not be holy. That would not be just. And therefore, He must be a God of justice and a God, therefore, of wrath. So today, with that background and with that brief review, we pick up with the Christian concept of the wrath of God. Now, let me say as we do, we're going to be turning to several passages even today. And I cannot exegete all of these texts, because I must continue to keep my mind pretty much focused on the topic or the subject at hand, which is the beauty of God's wrath. We're going to turn to some texts that are amazing and powerful, and I wish I could bring out everything from the texts, but I can't. We're going to focus on several aspects of those texts, but not on all of them. Just kind of seeing the highlights. And we'll begin with, from our understanding of the Christian concept of wrath, the clear teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did Jesus teach about wrath? And for that, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. Matthew, chapter 5. You will immediately recognize that this is what we call the Sermon on the Mount. I just made reference to that. 
And I want to just remind you, as we begin to look at some of these things, that this is Jesus speaking. These are Jesus' words. This is the loving Savior Jesus who is going to say what we see in the next few minutes from the Sermon on the Mount. These are not my words. I am certainly not putting them into the Bible. I'm not inserting them somehow secretly to uh, make sure that what I believe is is mentioned. No, these are Jesus' words. The teachings of our Lord. And I want to see and to show us that He begins by dealing with heaven, as I said a few moments ago. He begins in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, in verse 3, with the first words of our Lord, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He does start with heaven. First things our Lord is recorded in His first recorded sermon in the New Testament. Heaven. But, you look down a little further in verse 10, and he continues, Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's life after death, folks. And for those who follow Jesus, for those who are saved by His grace, it means heaven. And I remind you of what we saw when we looked at this in the whole series on heaven that this would have been an amazing statement to these people. These were persecuted people, poor people, slaves, many of them, downtrodden. And here Jesus is telling them, you will be blessed, for there is a kingdom of heaven that awaits the righteous and the followers of Me. And so this is what He says in verse 10. And then in verse 12, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is in heaven. And then in verse 16, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's where He is. That's where you will go. And verse 18, For truly I say to you that until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest Stroke or letter or stroke shall pass away from the law. So he acknowledges again and again that there is this place called heaven. And then finally, verse 20, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpass that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, there is a bit of a change. He speaks about your righteousness and what must take place in order for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so we pick up now with verse 21 as we see Him speak of the fires of hell. Verse 21, You have heard the ancients were told, You shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. I want you to understand something very important in what we're reading here. Very pivotal in understanding who Jesus is. I remind you of what is said 
at the end of this Sermon on the Mount in chapter 8. When He comes down, the people say, Wow! He is one who speaks with authority. Might as well just look there. It's over just a couple of, a pa- a couple of pages here. Verse 28 of chapter 7. The result was when Jesus had finished these words, the multitudes were amazed at His teaching, for He was teaching them as one having authority and not as their scribes. Now back to our text in chapter 5. He says, You have heard that it was said. And what He does here is that He makes an antithesis, a comparison between what they were being taught and what they thought they knew and verse 22, but I say to you, you have heard this. You have understood this. You have seen it this way. But I say, and there's the authority. He is the very divine Son of God. He is all authority. And so he says, you may understand this, but here's the way it is. Based on my authority, I say to you. And so he goes on to say that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell. Now, this is one of those times where I can't really look at all that he's teaching in that verse. I can't go into what he was talking about in the judging. There are so many ways in which we could open that up and learn and understand more of what Jesus is saying. But what I really want us to see is what he says at the end of the verse, just point blank. There is this place called a fiery hell. A fiery hell. This is Jesus. The loving, wonderful Savior Jesus who says just point blank, there is this place known as A fiery hell. A fiery hell. This is the one who speaks with authority. This is the very Son of God. And when he uses this term, this place known as hell or Gehenna, that that would be understood to be because of what he says, a place of torment. He calls it fiery. Fiery. When is that ever good? If you're in it. When is fire anything less than pain and suffering and torment? It would mean that exactly that. And we know that based upon what he says in Luke 16. So turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke for just a few moments and chapter 16. We're going right back to Matthew 5, but look at Luke 16. Here is our Lord's teaching regarding 
the rich man and Lazarus down towards the end of the chapter. Now the Pharisees, it says in verse 14, were lovers of money. They're listening at these things and they're scoffing at Him. And then He begins to tell them this in verse 19. There was a certain rich man and he would have been one of them. A Jew. Likely a Pharisee. A scribe. A rich man. And he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, gaily living in splendor every day. And a certain poor man named Lazarus was laid at the gate and covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table beside even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now it came about that the poor man died and he was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. That's heaven. Jesus spoke about heaven. Matthew chapter 5, over and over. Blessed are you, yours of the kingdom of heaven. That's where Lazarus went. And the rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, he lifted up his eyes. In Hell! He lifted up His eyes in hell. And notice what it says. Being in torment. And He saw Abraham far away and Lazarus was in his bosom. And He cried out and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on Me! And send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool off my tongue, for I am in agony. What? In this flame. In this flame. The fiery hell that Jesus speaks of in Matthew chapter 5 is the same fiery hell He is describing here that the rich man wakes up in. I want you to think about this again. Think about what it is like for your loved ones, for people you know, for people that you know are not saved. And they die. And everybody gathers around their casket at the funeral home. And they say, well, He's in a better place. Well, she's in a better place. That's not what Jesus said. It is like a, 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 a an awakening and a, ah! agony, torment, flames of hell. The words of your Savior. The words of Jesus. And there's no escape. There's no way out. There's no end. He goes on to say, you can't get out and we can't get over there to you. It's eternal. It's done. He woke up in hell. In the flames of hell. In agony and in torment. He cries out for mercy. But there's no mercy. No more mercy. 
Once you die, the day of mercy and grace is done. And so back in chapter 5 of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaks of men going into this place called fiery hell. A place of agony. A place of torment. And why would that be? Because it is the place of God's judgment. It is the payment for sin. The payment, in some cases, for a life of sin. The payment for people shaking their fist in the face of God for their entire lives. Ignoring what they know to be true, whether they ever went to an evangelical service or not. For Romans chapter 1 tells us that the wrath of God is evident to everyone. And when they ignore the evidences of a wonderful, loving Creator God seen in creation, and if they ignore the pleas and the cries of crazy preachers preaching from the pulpits about God and His Word, if they ignore that all their lives, that's where they wake up. Fiery hell. This is what Jesus taught. This is what Jesus said. This was God's punishment for sin. His wrath being poured out upon lost men and women. Now, here He also mentions in verse 29 and 30, we just look there, and if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into what? Hell. could be translated Gehenna. But the concept is the same. In other words, he's saying, he's not teaching that we should literally cut off our hands and pull out our eyes. But what he's saying is do everything possible to follow the ways of God that you don't go to that place. Verse 30, And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better that one of the parts of your body perish then your whole body go into hell. We live our lives that way. If you're saved, if you have been saved by the grace of God, you live your life that way. At least you should. That is the indication that you are saved. That you would rather turn from sin Pluck out the eye. Cut off the hand. It's better than going to hell. That's the seriousness of what our Lord says even here in the Sermon on the Mount. Now, I want you to notice that right here He refers to hell and He does so in these three verses right here in a very blunt way as if they completely understood what He was talking about. 
He just says it as though they would understand. Why would that be? That is because of what we had seen in the past weeks in our study. The Old Testament was replete in references to the judgment of God and the punishment for sin. Remember, David in Psalm 51 said that God was justified when He judged me because He was a sinner. So the godly sinner, the godly man who loved God was saved from his sin in the Old Testament by looking forward to the cross of Christ would have been one who was sensitive to his sin and understood that God will judge sin and I don't want any part of that. And so they would seek to live godly and holy lives. And here Jesus is saying, therefore, nothing really new. But He is saying it with real authority. He is preaching to these people who had been taught by the scribes and the Pharisees these things, some of these things. They knew some of these things. But here comes Jesus saying, point blank, right between the eyes. Don't do this! Or you will go to a fiery hell. Live godly, righteous lives or your lot will be like that rich man in Luke 16. Agony and torment. And so Jesus was bringing to the people the reality of the truth of God that there is wrath. Punishment for sin. Now what I want you to do is turn with me again, please, to the Gospel of Matthew and still in the Sermon on the Mount, but go over to chapter 7. Maybe a page or two in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 7 as we go down to verse 21 and following. I read to you a little while ago from verse 13 down to verse 20, we left off with verse 20 when he said, You shall know them by their fruits. Now look what he says. Understand the context. Understand that he has taught them in verses 13 and 14 that you must enter by the narrow gate. For broad is the way, and there are many that will be on it that lead to what? Destruction. That's hell. And the gate is narrow that leads to glory. And that's heaven. And there will only be a few on that narrow road. And so there he goes on to tell them about making sure that their lives are appropriate with those who are on the narrow road. And you will know them by their fruits. But... Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. He's talking about heaven again. But this is not a wonderful thought if you're an unrighteous person. A person that is on the broad road. A person that is bringing forth bad fruit. If that's you, don't think you're going to go to heaven. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father. For many will say to me on that day, Lord, 
Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name, and in Your name cast out demons, and in Your name perform mighty miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew You. Depart from Me, you who practice lawlessness. These are the most horrible words a man or a woman will ever hear. The most horrible words a man or a woman could ever hear. The most horrible words a boy or a girl could ever hear. Depart from Me. I never knew you. And in the context of what we have seen, He's saying depart into that place of destruction where that broad road leads to. Depart from Me as you see in other passages as they are cast into the lake of Fire! Depart from Me out of the presence of God for all eternity. That is perhaps the worst part of hell. That you will be separated from God for all eternity. We see here also the one who is doing the judging. Notice that he says, Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, many will say to me on that day, Did we not do all these things in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from Me. This is Jesus. I never knew you. Can you imagine the men and the women that will stand before Him on Judgment Day? Lord, I did this! Don't you know how many times I went down to the local church and I kneeled when they told me to kneel. And I stood when they told me to stand. And I went on holy days of obligation. And I got a wafer on my tongue. All these things. Didn't you see me, Jesus? I never knew you. Question is, do you know him? And I don't mean do you intellectually know that there is a God and that there is a Jesus, but do you know him in your heart? Do you know him as part of your life? Are you certain that these words will not be said to you? And you will go, well, well, Lord, Lord, I went to church with my mom and dad. Lord, 
My mother's saved. My father's saved. Lord, I, I was in church. I heard the preacher preach. I sang the hymns. Didn't you see me, Jesus? Didn't you know I was there? That's not the criteria. I never knew you. And what is the evidence? The only evidence that you know Him. It is not that your name is on the roll of a church. It is not that you attend church or you're a member of a church. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. The one who bears good fruit. The one who is evidently a follower. Of Jesus. The one who not only professes, but shows that he knows him. And so that Jesus will say, I know this one. For this one has loved me for all these many years. And He has lived that life consistent with the Gospel. Consistent with My words and My ways. And that's your Mediator, Jesus, who will stand before the Father on your behalf and say, this is one I know. Welcome Him into your kingdom, O Father. And the Father who chose Him from before the foundation of the world will say, I know that this is My Son. I know that this is My Daughter. I know that this is One that You shed Your blood for. And You will then be ushered in to the presence of Jesus and into glory for all eternity. This is One on the narrow road. This is where they go. This is one who throughout their life has chosen to pluck out that offending eye or to cut off that stumbling hand in order to follow Christ to the best of their ability. Are you that one? That is the only way, the only hope that you have of eternity in heaven. That is what Jesus says. That one who is teaching with all authority says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, which is indicative of a religious person. A religious person. Lord, Lord. Forget about the people who just drive by and don't care at all. They're not going to say, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this? They're going to say, I hate you, God! They're going to get the same banishment. But a religious person, Lord, Lord, 
Did I not do this? And did I not do that? And the fact that he mentions those who prophesy in his name, talking about preachers. Preachers who stand there and tell people that all you need to do is just be a little bit better and God will bless you with money and health. Preachers of a false gospel. Preachers who have opportunities to warn people every Sunday of the judgment of God and the eternity of hell the glory of Christ. Preachers who have these opportunities and squander them by telling jokes and stories. Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in Your name? And in Your name cast out demons. I never knew You. Can you imagine, therefore, how many in their flocks never knew Jesus either? Because if the preacher doesn't know Him, it's not likely that the people know Him. This is the state of the church today! It's gimmicks! It's games! It's entertainment! It's fun! It's frivolity! It's lost. They do not know Him. And we ought to weep and beg God to send more men with the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit to warn men to flee the wrath to come and to know Jesus. And that knowing Jesus is not making a decision in the church. It's not raising your hand. It's not being dunked in a baptismal. Knowing Jesus is keeping His Word. Keeping His commandments. Doing as Jesus says, the One who does the will of My Father. First John says, He who says He has come to know Him and does not keep His commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in Him. Oh, people, I don't want you to hear these words. You can lie to me all you want. You can lie to each other. You can lie to yourself. But you'll never be able to lie to God. Do you know Him? Do you know Him? The certainty that He gives you that you know Him is that you will follow Him. And I plead with you here today to come to Him. To confess to Him, O children, confess to Him that you know you're sinners. Confess to Him that you know you're unworthy. Undeserving. There's no good in me. But oh God, I fall before You and plead with You for Your mercy. Save me, oh God, by Your mercy, 
by your grace. I don't want to be like that rich man who wakes up in agony. Who cries for mercy, but it's too late. Ask Him for mercy today. Cast yourself upon His mercy. Oh, child of God in this place today, how wonderful is your salvation in Christ that you will never hear these words, that He will never tell you to depart from Him, but rather that He will say to you, Welcome, my son. Welcome, my daughter, into this place of glory for all eternity. Some of you have been coming to church for years, have heard me been preaching for years. I tell you that this is the issue. This is life and death. Don't just go out thinking it's another sermon. Plead with Him for your own soul that you would be with Him for all eternity. I pray you will. I pray that we will be there together to hear Him welcome us into His kingdom as sons and daughters who have walked the narrow road and brought forth good fruit as evidence that we know Him. Know Him today, people. Let's pray.